Wrestling should be fun. Should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. Should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. Hello and welcome to Wrestling Should Be Fun podcast. This is episode 33. We've reached number 33, which is amazing. Um, and we've got ourselves some very special guests. We've got the returning Shafi. How are you doing, Shaf? Yeah, not too bad, mate. Not too bad. How are you? Very well, thanks. I'm assuming that you are very excited to watch Full Gear this weekend. Oh, well, I'm sure we'll get on to that in a minute. <laughs> And James, fresh off his best ever round of golf. Hey, absolutely tearing up the fairways today in uh, the November. Great time to hit a, to hit a good round, yeah. And I, yeah, I watched full gear. It was good. And you splashed out and got a microphone for the pod. Oh, um, yeah, especially for this. Gone all out. <laughs> <laughs> and Conman, uh, fresh off uh, Wildstone versus Barnet this weekend. Yeah, living the dream, mate. Going to see all the best players in the National League. The big 19th versus 17th clash. <laughs> and you were saying that you saw someone being hit by a lighter, so it sounded yeah. like maybe uh, sponsored by GCW. It was a nice warm-up for the wrestling. <laughs> and last but certainly no means least, we've got Philip Radley, um, introduced to us through Shafi. Philip, do you want to say hello and like let us know what you run over on Facebook? Hello. Thanks for the introduction. You're the uh, first person apart from my mum to call me Philip in about two years. But that's good. <laughs> that's nice. You, you can call me Phil from now on. That'll, okay. that'll make me feel more at home. Uh, yes. Uh, so uh, I'm Phil Rapley and I run the Legion of Hasbro uh, Facebook community group, which is uh, a collection of vintage and retro figure stuff, basically collections, people who are into it. Um, and we generally run a quite a tight knit community of 1,100 members. Uh, Shafts is involved, although we call him the Sultan. Oh, uh, he's got that same old shit, Shaf. <laughs> yeah, but it, but but it's new to us, isn't it? So the novelty <laughs> hasn't worn off yet. Uh, so that's it. Yeah. So if you're into that sort of old wrestling malarkey, some figures and stuff and whatnot, come and check us out on Facebook. Certainly, we'll um, send across a link once we uh, send out the podcast uh, later in the week, Phil. So hopefully, we'll manage to get some more followers for you. Yeah, and the irony of it is, though, is uh, I actually am more into modern wrestling than I am the early 90s Hasbro era stuff anyway, so well, very you... ironic, but very good. <laughs> Ross, have we got some cool sheets? Yes, we do. We're going to start off with a potential <laughs> ringer. We've got Don Said So <laughs> from Boston, Massachusetts. So is, is Don booked himself a right-hand man? Is that what's happened here? He's somehow infiltrated this lad in Boston, Mass. <laughs> Become and hype for him, Leo Rush style. So he's called Don Said So. Yeah. He just like he won't turn up on the podcast that much. You have to send him to the call sheet. <laughs> so I think that this guy is a sort of a psychotic, you know, deathmatch type wrestler. And he's completely unhinged. Uh, he just goes around attacking people. He's incredibly violent. And whenever he's questioned on, you know, why he's acting in a certain way, 
all he ever says is Dom said so. But we never find out who Dom is. It's almost like a, a split personality type thing that's driving him to, you know, complete destruction because Dom said so. It's like a 18 plus version of Lil Jimmy. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Next one. Scotty Jams from Parts Unknown. That sounds like a tag team partner for Boogs. <laughs> Scotty Jams and Boogs plays. They're, they're going far. I just assumed he owned like an organic farm in Cornwall and he puts <laughs> his own berries and preserves his own jams. And that's how he uh, finances his wrestling career and his wrestling training. ScottyJams.com. <laughs> okay, we've got four more. Uh, we'll start with Jesse Recon from New York. So, what was his name? Jesse Recon, not Recon from the Truth Commission. <laughs> Hmm. Is there some kind of New York thing that he could do? Hopefully, because we haven't got much for him. <laughs> or her. Jesse is either, I guess. Is it him? Ah, oh, of course it is. <laughs> <laughs> so I assume that he's got some sort of private party gimmick. And he's obsessed with the music of R. Kelly. But everyone is just hasn't got the heart to tell him why that's an incredibly poor taste these days. So his catchphrase is, I'm the freaking reeking. I'm about to have me some fun. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> We're going to go with Mike Digital again from Parts Unknown. Well, I think he DJs at the Good Mixer, but only not using records. He only uses digital MP3 music. <laughs> 8-bit. <laughs> Put him in Hit Row. Oh, yes, Hit Row, yeah, yeah. They need a member. Hit Row. Hit Row, Hit Row. Okay, next up, we've got Deborah, ba Deborah Bamadelli. She's coming into AEW, and on the first night, she's pinning Britt Baker to win the AEW Women's Championship. <laughs> Two more. Okay, so we've got Molly Molotov, 666. That's a good name. Is that her government name? <laughs> she's from Tromaville, New Jersey. I mean, that's just giving me Shotzi Blackheart vibes just by the name. So I'm not more imaginative than that. What would the, the uh, finisher be for Molly Molotov? It's got to be some power bomb. Yeah, yeah. Senten bomb or something along those lines, I imagine. And last but not least, we've got an actual wrestler from Vancouver, just simply known as Fergie. She's got some sort of high um, socialite gimmick, formerly married to royal family member, who's found himself in some trouble recently. And just wants to escape that and escape into the world of wrestling. I quite like the idea of Fergie um, only um, only having matches that go into overtime. That's, that's exactly where my mind was going. <laughs> How so weird is it that yeah, you both? Can you edit mine out? My shit. <laughs> you both mentioned more famous Fergies, but I was thinking of Fergie from the Black Eyed Peas. First of all, <laughs> I was thinking going into uh, famous rap groups and just wrecking them 
<laughs> that was the gimmick. So you're saying that we could book Fergie against Jesse Reakin? Yes, yes, exactly what we're doing. It's a freaking Reakin. <laughs> oh no, wait, it was it was Mike Digital. Digital, yeah, yeah. Mike Digital versus Fergie main event. <laughs> Is that book a bingo? <laughs> so thanks very much for everyone who uh, sent in the shout out. I hope that, that you're happy with your new wrestling character. And we'll give you a shout out in your DM to let you know that you've had your shout out. So let's crack into what the nerds are watching. I've been watching you a la 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 long, a la 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 long, 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 come on. A la 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 long, a la 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 long, 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 hey. Ross, uh, I don't really know how to say this, but I haven't seen any wrestling this week. <laughs> Get off my podcast. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you usually blag it, I find. If uh... <laughs> so, I mean, should we just jump straight into full gear? So, full gear, what can we say? Four hours of fantastic professional wrestling action, uh, the culmination of a two year storyline, two of the four pillars against each other, a 15 year feud coming to a head. I mean, there was a lot to like about the show, wasn't there? Absolutely. Uh, I'll be honest with you, I haven't read any of the reviews. I haven't seen what the general consensus of the pay-per-view was, but I thought it was very good. Very, very good. Very enjoyable from start to finish. Uh, we, of course, started with uh, two of those four pillars that I mentioned in MJF versus Darby Allen, And I think something that gets lost with MJF is that he's so good on the mic that you can't or at least I do, sometimes forget just how good he is in the ring. I, I don't remember exactly which pay-per-view it was, uh, but he had a, a match on a pay-per-view with Jungle Boy maybe 18 months ago, and that was probably the best match on the card. And again, on this pay-per-view, he started off so strongly against uh, Darby Allen. Like, what a match that was. Uh, that could have been anywhere in the card, to be honest, from top to bottom. Yeah, so I mean, I just wonder what people's thoughts are on were on that match because it certainly exceeded my expectations. Phil, did you have any thoughts? Oh, I loved it. I mean, this is <laughs> this is uh, as you'll learn from me when you uh, talk about AEW matches. I loved it, uh, regardless of who was in it. Um, but no, I'll go into a bit more depth on it. You um, related to Ross? I'm not related to Ross. <laughs> there are there are a history of reasons as to why I love AEW, which I won't bore you with at the moment. But uh, yeah, it, it just it couldn't have gone any better for me the whole pay per view. But that match in particular, amazing. The continuous near falls that were back and forth throughout the match that was really good. Um, I know they were playing on it, but I had no idea who was going to win that match. Some of the stunts Darby Allen was pulling off. I mean, uh, didn't he take a tombstone on the side of the ring? Oh, that looked painful that looked horrendous uh and ultimately i think the right man won as well in mjf it was great i loved it i'll watch it again the only the the only strange thing i didn't quite enjoy was the sonic the hedgehog type rolling around the ring between the two of them in some sort of entangled (laughs) mess of people but maybe you guys liked it i don't know not so it'd be my only criticism that's what i'd say so is darby sonic and mjf tales uh, knuckles. No, I tell you, Jeff is knuckles. Actually. Okay, yeah, right. he's knuckles. Yeah. 
so for me, the quite interesting um, part of this was that um, obviously the, in the build, it was very much that um, MGF was going to break Darby Allen mentally. And I thought it was quite interesting that um, they kind of like, obviously normally people say, oh, it's a grudge match. And they started off with chain wrestling, but it's quite interesting that he kind of was playing those mind games, right? Like right from the off, like throwing him off the scent straight away. I know that he, that he was saying that he was going to beat him with a headlock and things like that. And they went straight for the headlocks. So yeah, I've, like story-wise, I thought it was perfect. And also playing into that, breaking him mentally. He also did the thing where he handed him the skateboard, trying to get him to DQ him, all that sort of stuff. And I'm not a big avid watcher of um, their, their previous indie stuff, but apparently it was pretty much the exact same finish from their previous match in, which promotion was it? MLW? Maybe Gabe's one. What was Gabe's one? Oh, uh, Dragon Gate. Yeah, but yeah, I know that for a fact. But but apparently it was. You mean Evolve? That's a bit. Yeah. Um, is that right? With I didn't realize I, Derby was a, a fixture in Evolve, but I don't think MJF did much stuff there. But I, I don't know the later era Evolve that well. Yeah, apparently it was the same as that. But if it works on something else, why not do it again? <laughs> Hi, Brian. All right, lads. How's it going? Yeah, good, thanks. We're just talking MJF Derby. Yeah, absolutely exceptional match, wasn't it? Yeah, something that um, had it happened a few weeks earlier may well have been a, may well have been mentioned in our best ever matches to start off. <laughs> yeah, just co- completely blew away expectations. MJF can go, can't he? Absolutely, yeah. I feel like MJF. I've always seen him like in York Hall once after seeing him do a lot of good stuff uh, vocally. And not really thinking much of him. And then seeing him in, I can't remember it. I think Ross, you at the show. And he was brilliant. He was like really good. And I think there was he's now transcended that to another level and to a much wider audience. Good crack. You guys have probably talked about it, but the Yoshi Tonic code red, whatever you want to call it, into the powerbomb spot was sick, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So obviously they've been talking about the pillars a lot. Is there anyone else that he's got to beat from the pillars to go through to then get to page in like the title match i mean it's interesting what are they going to do with mjf at the moment he almost feels too big for the tnt title although i you know i'd argue there's definitely value in him having a title run there but it looks like hangman has got brian next which is interesting with the face versus face dynamic yeah i mean aw's roster is so deep that and with only two titles there it seemed to be a lot of people who were sort of stuck in between the tnt title and the world title because the, the title reigns in the main event scene are obviously quite lengthy, which is, you know, certainly not a negative thing. And the storylines are generally over, you know, three to four months to fit with the pay-per-views. But it does create this sort of logjam. So, you know, what does MGF do next? He's already beaten Jungle Boy. Um, he's already, you know, done the whole inner circle Sammy thing. So where does he go from here? Do we look at maybe... MJF versus Punk and, you know, get that absolute fire on the mic and, you know, see if he can sort of push Punk to really bring out the best in him the way that Kingston did to a certain extent. Uh, is that something that we could see next? And if we do, I mean, who are you who are you looking to, to put over in that feud? I think potentially they're going to go for Jungle Boy again because of what happened in that match that I'm sure that we'll talk later where... Jungle Boy is now a real man and he's willing to incite violence. He's like a different wrestler, a different human being to who he was when he lost to MGF months ago. So potentially that's like a new arc there. 
MJF shouldn't lose a match until he uh, until he beats Page at All Out 2022, right? And and on the way to that, he's got to beat Punk. Can he be Punk's first? The, the first guy to be Punk. Can they do Wardlow? They'll do Wardlow, but Wardlow should happen when MJF's champion, basically. The sensibility of the storyline, because the focus of that feud, Wardlow, MJF, should be when MJF is, forgive the pun, is pinnacle when he's the world champion. And I think that they do the, whatever, the turn while MJF's champion, but they don't do the payoff match until after MJF's dropped the belt. So you can give Wardlow his win and the kind of the decline of MJF, whatever, where he goes to cool and then Wardlow can go on the up. I think it's probably the way, because it's what Wardlow should be AW champion. But the feud needs to be, like, I think that the highlight of the feud, he still needs to be with MJF when he's world champion, is my gut. Yeah, that's cool. I think MJF still, still needs a heater, so I think that you can still do that where Spears turns on Wardlow and becomes the heater for a bit. I think it's oh, interesting, good. especially Shaf said there's uh, there's two belts in AEW that he can go for. Uh, but what about the tag team titles, though? You're talking about Wardlow. You're talking about him needing a belt. What if him and Wardlow go for the tag titles together and that's what separates them? Wardlow costs them it, something similar to that. It writes itself, basically. Good job. Yeah, that's, that would be my guess. Good job. Nice. Um, I think what plays into this um, and probably is more suitable as a round table topic for some point in the future, but is whether, you know, these lengthy title reigns, are they a good thing or a bad thing? I think overall they are a good thing, but it does create this situation where, you know, you're saying, I think Phil said, you know, Wardlow should be champion. You know, that you've got so many people in that promotion who could be world champion, but if each title reign is six to 12 months, like this, it's not going to happen, is it? Well, I think part, and this is going back to the way sort of early Ring of Honor, they do, they had the long reigns that established the belt, which is the sort of, I'm guessing, the sort of period AW's in, still establishing itself as a company. And then once you've done that, you can run a few shorter. I wouldn't shock me if Paige had a short reign. Yeah, because it's interesting that you mention uh, Ring of Honor because that is exactly the parallel that you know I drawn with these long title reigns, and there was nothing wrong with that period of you know Ring of Honor. It was it was their peak, wasn't it? But AEW have got so much potential main event talent. But the world title is not like a like a gift that you give to eight year olds at the end of a party. Loads of top stars in AEW should never hold the title. Go back to days, Piper Roberts. Technically, DBSE, perfect. All these big names didn't hold the world title. That's a good thing. You want literally top stars never to hold the belt. The belt needs to be sacrosanct. Like, and if, if and if oh, like oh, just by being like a main event star and a top guy that everyone loves, you're gonna have the belt. It weakens it. There should be people in that company who who wrestle there for 20 years and never hold the strap. And also, they'll get over more because of it. Like, I just think it's most obvious booking, but I think we've been desensitized from the last 20 years plus whatever, where like, oh, well, yeah, he's he's going to be a world champion because he's like, he's really good and the crowd love it. Like, fuck that. It's not like, you know, it's not a token. It's a it's a narrative. It's a wrestling is a storyline. And, and in any novel or TV or film you want, not everyone gets to be the hero. In that token... Brum, I feel like the most obvious person there that kind of suffered from that is maybe Naito. I feel like his story would have been way better if he never ever held it. I've never, I've never thought about that, Ross, but that is a super hot take. 
completely right. I can't agree with you more. Chef, um, what was next? Uh, what was next? That's a good it question. It was uh, the tag team match. Tag title match? Yeah, tag match. I love FTR. I, don't, I mean, I don't think I'm in the minority in saying that, but I love FTR. They are so good. I just They might be the best tag team in the world for me. I know that Bucks, you know, probably have had higher rated matches in the last five years, but man, I just, FTR are so old school, but they're not boring. You know, they are just a perfect base for all of these other teams to work with, whether that's the Bucks, the Lucha Brothers, all of these different teams. And they're so, like, they're not cool heels. Like, they are just heels, which is exactly, you know, what you want and something that's kind of been lost, uh, I think. You know, someone like Adam Cole is a shit heel. But FTR are great hills. You know, no one's sort of humming along their song as they come to the ring or saying their catchphrase along with them or any of that sort of nonsense. So, yeah, I mean, again, a very strong match. Uh, the tag matches on the pay-per-views tend to be, you know, brilliant. On the last one, obviously, was Lucha Bros versus the Young Bucks. Yeah, I mean, what can I say? I think probably the right result in the circumstances. Uh, again, we're talking about title reigns and the length of them and not doing quick title changes the only thing that i would say about this match is that it made me think a little bit about the pacing of uh, AEW pay-per-views in the because they only have a pay-per-view every four months there is a pressure to get everyone on the card and then because so many people don't make it onto the card they feel under pressure to have the best match possible and and this was a great match after the first match as well but after this match i started to feel a little bit tired it matches in. Yeah. <laughs> like, because it was just so epic, you know, the uh, MJF and Derby match followed by this match. They were both great. Uh, and I think from here we went to the Punk match. No, it was Danielson Miro. It was Brian Miro. Oh, there yeah. you go. So then, and then we had Danielson Miro, which again, you know, was another banger. And by the end of that, like, I was, I was done. Um, and I think after that was the women's match and the crowd were dead. So, yeah. Another brilliant match. I don't know what you guys thought about this one. I had a um, similar thought to you, Shappy, actually. Like, I didn't know if it was just me, but the amount of near falls in those opening two matches, I felt like I needed a break. And obviously, Brian and Miro wrestled at a slower pace, but it did still feel like... I, I remember that match didn't... Like, now, I'm, when I'm thinking about that match, and maybe other people thought differently, that match just feels like filler on a card. Like, how can this guy that's having a career-defining run at the moment in AEW in Danielson and then I'm not even remembering his match properly from the pay-per-view and I can remember those first two matches and it was like a bazillion moves and they were all brilliant and it's kind of maybe a problem that NXT used to have where they get to the third match and you'd be like oh another load of kickouts but it's a minor complaint like I think we've talked about being too spoiled before right and I think it's maybe one of in that category because yeah the tag match was excellent the bit where um the bit where Phoenix jumped into the screen like from the top <laughs> Did you see yeah. that bit? Like from yeah, the top incredible. rope, I like I genuinely didn't forgot where he was, and he just came in like, oh, it was brilliant. Yeah, it was a really good match. That, it's, that's it's, what I just described that awfully. If people haven't seen it, but yeah, it was brilliant. It's it's interesting you mentioned like Brian Miro, and I, I forgot about it until it just popped up. What you've got to remember is though, that was supposed to be Danielson versus Mox, <laughs> like which would have been like three times as epic. And it's just you're right, it, it Shaffy gets spot on, and that's why I don't. I wasn't as into the the tag match. I think because I, I, I love the opener loads, but it was still a brilliant match. And the fact it was like the fifth or sixth best match or something on that card just shows the standard of wrestling on this card. And sorry to 
say this so early on, but I'll, I'll probably be gone in about five or ten minutes anyway. But the um, All Out was a better pay-per-view because it was, you know, arguably the greatest pay-per-view of all time. But in terms of wrestling quality, this beat it for me. And that's a great example that that, that tag match would have been probably second or third best match on the card at All Out. It was probably the sixth best, ma- best match on, on this one, in my opinion. Shows how how strong it was. The, the fit, what, what what did you think? What, what what guys do you think of the finish, which was a bit of a strange one, wasn't it? When we were what watching this live, um, me and James both noted how mad Matt would be that um, <laughs> that he couldn't spot that that wasn't Dax. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, yeah, water's wet. Refs are bad. Like, what are you going to do? <laughs> which, re- what, which ref was it? Was was it Bryce or was it? I'm not sure. I got a feeling I got annoyed with Bryce on Saturday night. I think it was the guy who looks a bit like um, the guy from Smashing Pumpkins. Yeah, yeah. Bryce did the opener, didn't he? Because of, you know, the repeated pinfall spot. That was Bryce. So it'll be probably the other fella. I love the wrestling trope, though, that referees never get masked wrestling teams mixed up. But if a non-masked wrestling team wears masks, the referee gets them mixed up <laughs> do you think kayfabe it's because they have like they do a lot of prep for mass tag teams to know the difference but then when a, re- a re- team who don't usually do it do it they don't have time to get their prep in so they've got no idea who's who's it see the thing is bro you, you what you need to do is you need to go back and watch the golden era because when demolition were around and there were three of them they used to do the twin magic spot even though they look nothing like each other <laughs> yeah like, um... axe would be rolling in for crush and they are like about twenty years apart. <laughs> yeah, all I'd say on it is that uh, with you know three in the morning, I'm very glad Excalibur explained it to me because I was not paying enough attention to even notice them putting on those little frog masks. Yeah, Bros could have got me on <laughs> shot right there and told me I'd lost if I'm honest. Because uh... <laughs> to be honest, it was it was. I don't think it was a great finish. It wasn't. It didn't come across as clearly as uh, like if they, as Phil said, if they wouldn't have explained it, I would have been a bit lost. Yeah, but, on, but I mean, they've got the out, haven't they? That they pin the non-legal man. You didn't really beat us. We want a rematch, which yeah. I can only assume is where this is going to lead to. Yes, I'm assuming on a Triple A show. Yeah, potentially. Does anyone know if they're running shows at the moment? They did a taping, didn't they, Triple A? Because uh, didn't the FTR turned up at? They did like a block set of tapings for Triple A. I think I think I read that um, that they were going to be at a couple of shows doing some stuff but i don't follow triple a so i'm not certain cool well it's a it's thing isn't it um whatever the triple mania regio or whatever it is the um is is that december with uh viking or viking however you pronounce his name versus omega oh really yeah so that's gonna be mad yeah you know the guy you know the guy i'm talking about the fucking absolutely insane flip man he's still a champion omega Sure, he really stands out in the, the Mexican promotion, the insane flippy man with a mask. I'm well, sure he, he sets himself <laughs> apart there. That's what crazy is. He does stand out. That's how yeah. fucking flippy he is and just how mental his spots are. He's like outrageous, this boy. He's not actually masked, um, but he's, uh, <laughs> he's yeah, he in, in fucking AAA, he makes like the rest of the guys look like bloody Mongo. He's that, he's that quick. So we've also already slightly touched on it, but uh, should we go into Danielson's match with Miro? Uh, any thoughts on that one, Phil? I know you're not the biggest Danielson fan, but did that do anything for you? 
you um it's so difficult when you've got preconceived opinions of a wrestler isn't it that i just just can't buy into brian danielson in aw i just can't do it i was looking around at the signs looking for what culture signs and all sorts of stuff just because i had no interest great match don't get me wrong technically very good match i think the wrong person won it i think miro should have won it and he should have gone against adam page that would have been a cracking uh pay-per-view but yeah just it's just not for me i can't quite put my finger on it but that's not to say it wasn't a good match because um, if I watch you back, it will be. On Miro winning, I was also wanting Miro to win and thought, yeah, it'd be a good chance to give Miro a chance at the title. But then I suppose the only thing for Danielson winning is it keeps the main event a mystery, doesn't it? Maybe more than booking an, a total heel. To yeah, it, it's the shit. old, uh, it's the Royal Rumble issue, isn't it? Yeah. As soon as you know who's won the main event, you know that the, say, a heel wins the title match, you know that the Royal Rumble winner is going to be a face generally. So... Yeah, you can. Yeah, I get what you're saying, but Miro for me all day long. I think they've just repackaged him and rebuilt him so good since the best man days that he's he was almost unstoppable. And I get him losing the TNT Championship. That makes sense. I then thought, surely he's going to go up to the World Championship, but now he's. I don't know what they're going to do with him. That's that's quite sad because it seems to be everyone pushing for Brian Danielson instead. I, but, yeah. I think because Danielson's on such a tear, I, I think I completely agree with your point by the way, but I think they might just get away with it because Danielson's on on such a tear that Miro can probably eat a loss to him and get away with it. However, that is, they've got away, they've just got away with that. I, I think now Miro's got to be booked really fucking strong, I think, based on, on what you said is the packages and stuff with him recently has been has been really good, but they need to, they need to land it now. I think that they've covered themselves quite well because even in the Kingston match um, where they, where all the pre-match stuff was about Kingston saying, you've got a bad neck, you've got a bad neck, I'm going to take the neck. And I mentioned in the All Out podcast that I don't think that he went enough for it in the match. Whereas here, Danielson did, and he even won with a DDT off the ropes, which obviously is damaging the neck. So I think in terms of keeping him strong, I think that the a simple story of that he's got a bad neck. In terms of um, Danielson winning over Miro, like the next pay-per-view on the basis of the main event, you know, result, would we not want to be seeing Danielson versus Omega as opposed to Danielson versus Page? Yeah, and I think that's the way they'll go with it as well. I think you watch, I don't know when this goes out, but Dynamite, potential they're going to start building the Daniel Bryan-Kenny feud again. Because if you remember it, it's, Daniel Bryan jumped the queue, didn't he, to get to Kenny. And then when they had their draw, I think Kenny will use that as a sort of revenge retaliation, my turn. I want the number one contendership again, so put it on the line, Mr. Danielson. I might be wrong about this. I don't think you'll see Kenny and Danielson for a while. I think they'll make super quickly, probably write Kenny off and out of the elite, so it focuses more on the super click and Omega, who's just been absolutely beating the living shit out of himself for a long time. Probably need some cooldown piece. I reckon he'll drop the AAA Mega Championship at Triple Mania, Regia, or whatever it's called, and then hopefully cool off for a bit. And then I think New Japan are going to do, they basically say their next year is just going to be absolute fan service madness. So I, I think he'll he'll probably do a fair bit over there. But I think, I think the longer term plan is I think you will see a massive Omega Dragon 2 match. But I, I don't think it's going to be until later next year. Or you might be right. They might, because of it, they might squeeze one other big Omega match in before they call him off for a bit and give him a bit of a break. I don't know. 
But my itchy gut is, I, I think they might push it a bit later. Did you guys see that he did a YouTube video recently where he, he was at like a chiropractor's? It's like 48 minutes long and like his, like his body is pretty wrecked. I think it was posted last night, maybe. And he also mentioned on it that he's suffering from vertigo as well. How the fuck can you... A, a wrestler wrestles like he does, like fucking deal with vertigo. Like, it must be a fucking absolute bloody nightmare. Absolutely, mate. Yeah. To me, the story arc with Omega now is that he's going to lose his kind of arrogance and his silliness and you're going to start to become a little sympathetic to his character. So for me, I feel like him going away and coming back with Danielson as the kind of like the kingpin, that's a better story than going back to it with like a bit of a broken version of him. So I think that you're spot on, Matt. Brum. Yeah, I literally wouldn't be surprised if it's hot shot and you see the uh, you see Adam Cole boot Omega out as early as this Wednesday. Yeah. I mean, that sounds quick, but it won't surprise me. Because especially as well, and this does feel a bit like the end of chapter one of AEW, doesn't it? And and they might just kick off and go wild with with moving into into new story. Like it, it's a bit like a, a season opener, a little bit uh, dynamite this Wednesday. And you may see a couple of really big storyline shifts, that being one of them. Dynamite 2.0 coming. <laughs> yeah, get Bron Breaker in. I mean, what you said about kicking him out of the uh, the elite, that, you know, potentially plays into the finish of the main event as well, doesn't it, that we had on yeah. the show? Yeah. Yeah. Very much so, yeah. Can people remember what was next? Because I can't. I think it was a women's match. No, no. Was it not three of the four best brushes in the world in Cody Rhodes? You also had the six-man before that as well. Or did yes. you... Yeah, yeah. Wow. This card was stacked. <laughs> yeah, so I, th- um, so I think it was... Hogan versus Andre was also on there somewhere. <laughs> I think it was the sixth man next, which for me personally, I oh. felt was just overkill. It was too long. I watched most of that one for a window and it went on forever. <laughs> you need to buy your own TV, mate. <laughs> it was my own bloody TV. <laughs> <laughs> it was good. It wasn't bad. It was just too long. And there were some brilliant spots in it. It was my favourite of the overly long multi-man matches on the show. It was overkill. Cole didn't need to bleed in it either. I quite like the fun, bonkers, PWG-style six six um, matches that they do. But I agree, they can probably shave five minutes off them, can't they? But on that incredibly cold take, I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll speak to you guys later. Enjoy the rest of the pod. Hey, Brum. Thanks, Brum. Can I ask uh, a question to you guys? Look, I had a a friend of the pod, Rev Pro Rob, who was watching him the next day, messaging me takes. Like, do you guys have a problem when there's blood in more than one match? Well, not a problem, but do you think it like takes away or what? That's all what he was saying. And I'm not sure. I think, like, for honest, me... I think what bothered me more on this card in regard to Overkill was that we had two of these matches that were quite, had almost the same stipulation. We had, but this multi-man false count anywhere. And we had the multi-man street fight. And I don't think you really needed both. Yeah, and for, for me, of... like this, this one when it came when it came on, I was like, yeah, cool, it's on. And then, but then before at like four in the morning, when there was another one coming on, I was like, well, I don't think if it, like I liked this. I preferred this one just because of where it was. I didn't see even like you say the need for two of them. And it, I mean, it gets to that time when it's a long show with, and I'd rather they took a match off necessarily than take time away from matches because I think give the matches their time 
but then as you mentioned earlier you've got four pay-per-views a year you want you got to get all the names on the roster's really deep i'd have fucked the inner circle off personally i don't think they added anything or fuck this one off but this one i think elevates like jungle boy whereas the other one it just gave chris jericho a win over some old fucker guy i don't know he is and also the result of this puts the elite in jeopardy a little bit which will in terms of storyline beat it will force their hand a little bit to make changes like we're saying that, that may be happening very very soon in the group so there were some really good spots in that match though christian cage going back to doing some high flying stuff that was cool to see yeah um, no, no, it was lo- yeah loads of cool stuff in this one luchasaurus with also, the, um, uh, was it the what yeah dive did he do it looked brilliant uh, shooting star yeah, 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 yeah. shooting star press yeah that was amazing i wasn't expecting that for such a big man yeah, I, I think I go along with what James said on this one. If I had to pick one of them, I'm picking this one over the Inner Circle one. But again, but this is another match that, you know, in old school NXT could have been a main event, I think. Um, you know, like when Cole was having, you know, all those sort of war game type matches. and But there were so many main event level matches on this card, as we, we sort of said. Do you think there's an argument, Jeff, that these four pay-per-views per year could take the route of Wrestle Kingdom and WrestleMania where you put them over a whole weekend and split it up? Um, I mean, in terms of, I mean, is Wrestle Kingdom going to three days? Is that what I heard? Like, that's nonsense. That's absolute nonsense. <laughs> I mean, Wrestle Kingdom, because of the time that it's on, because it would tend to start at like, what, 7am for us, something like that. I yeah. didn't really mind that it was on for like six hours, whereas Mania being on for, you know, six to eight hours was an absolute slog. Yeah, um, I think so drunk you have to get to be there. I feel like WrestleMania was a success going to, to two days. I just wonder, like, could AEW learn from that a little bit? Because these shows, they do become a slog. Yeah, I mean, what do you do? Like, because you don't want to have a pay per view every month. No, so I, like, um, so I'm saying that you keep it exactly the same, but you just have every single one a, t- a like a two nighter. Yeah, I maybe it's more possible now. I think with some of the earlier pay-per-views, they wouldn't have been strong enough to put over two days. I mean, obviously now they've had such an influx of talent over the last six months. You've got loads of people that could main event. Yeah. You know, you've got people, you know, like you had Cody, Peck, Malachi and Andrade in like a complete, completely pointless throwaway dynamite level match on this pay-per-view. And all of them could main event a one night of a two night pay-per-view. I don't know. It's difficult. You can't have your cake and eat it, can you? Um, I would love the pay-per-views to be a nice tight three hours for all of the storylines to matter, but they're also to be good pacing and it not to be exhausting to, you know, watch an epic match after an epic match after an epic match. You have to make your choices somewhere, don't you? Is six pay-per-views a year, is that like a, a potential compromise? And then some of the storylines go two months, some of them go four months, uh, and maybe you don't uh, defend the the title on all of them or yeah i don't really know what the answer is well it's something that, that obviously we lived through as progress fans where the chapters were what like every two and a half months and then suddenly suddenly it was almost like two per month and storyline writing wise it, it became a bit messy they're adding the extra shows in next year though right like uh one hour specials i suppose in the vein of clash of the champions type mm-hmm. editions yeah, there's one in January, isn't there? It's like an hour long, I think. It is funny, isn't it? It's like there's too many good matches on this show. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> can, can you bring the big show back for that in, in between? Like, the thing is, I think that wrestling is at gen- like generally wrestling is at such a high level now compared to where it used to be. So, you know, 20, 25 years ago, you might have a pay-per-view and you're seeing all the documentaries are oh, everyone was out to steal the show. and But there was a, a limit on the amount of ability that a lot of people on a card had. Whereas now with the roster that they've got, everyone is capable of going out and having a four and a half star, 25 minute match. Yeah. You know, they've got probably 20 people that could do that. And they all want to be on the card and everyone wants to get their shit in. You know, we mentioned about the throwaway match with Cody. Like, why is that even on the pay-per-view? Like, it didn't mean anything. It wasn't a particularly great match. The best thing we got out of it was a, a fuck you Cody chant. And uh, Cody solved racism signing the crowd. So Can I just say, though, like, like I know that, that everyone hates Cody, right? But if you didn't have Cody in that match, that crowd would have been dead. Like, he brings atmosphere to every match he's in. But that's, that's the Cena excuse, isn't it? Oh, as long as he's getting a reaction. The reason that match would have been dead is, A, because there was, so, there was so much good before it, and as we said, it was also crowd, but B, because it didn't mean anything. Like, what was the point in this match? Why are Cody and Pac teaming up? I don't know. I mean, he's in a nightmare family. He's got an entourage of 87 people, and he's teaming with a random guy from Death Triangle, which I don't even know if it exists anymore, against another guy who who's teaming with someone, I don't know if they're in a faction, um, who's also happening to be hiring two guys from the pinnacle. Like, I just, it doesn't make any sense. Like, there's not a lot of logical, you know, storytelling there, is there? Yeah. Well, and well, that was after the match, wasn't it? That n- neither of them would get in on with their, without yeah. like doing the full on, where they just sort of blow it. There, there, was, there was like just, there was tension between all of them all the time. Do you think that the blow-off on this becomes a uh, fatal four-way somewhere down the line where they all hate each other? But, say, if one of them had a title, that would make more sense. Yeah, but not everyone can, mate. I think the blow-off is that Pac is the best wrestler in the world and people need to realise it. And Cody wins. What was your thoughts, Phil? Uh, well, I was saving this one in because I actually quite like Cody. Uh, shock horror. <laughs> I actually think he's a pretty decent wrestler and... Uh, I get it. I get why people are, let's just say, turning on him. Um, but uh, I don't want to see a Cody Pack feud. It doesn't interest me in the slightest. I'm not too sure. I think Pack is the best wrestler in the world. That might take some some persuading from people to make that to me. But um, yeah, I don't know, Cody. Maybe you he'll get involved with the elite storyline. <laughs> oh, what? Sorry, I got, got eyes. eyes. <laughs> <laughs> There's a. Uh, my my uh, idea of the greatest wrestlers in the world is usually people who hold microphones rather than their flippity-floppity and hard slaps around the face and stuff. But yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe Cody will go back to the Elite storyline somehow, somewhere. They may as well turn him heel. He's he's, he's effectively heel, isn't he, in everyone's mind. So may as well switch him now. I mean, we, we've spoken a lot about But Cody. if you give me... Go on, Phil. Sorry, I was, well, I was just going to say, just out of curiosity, if you give me a, a, a pack or a Neville match to go and watch, I'll, I'll happily go and watch it, and I'll eat my pretend hat if <laughs> I go, yeah, that was good. That was good. But, yeah, but, you, but you've said yeah, the microphone's quite important, so I, I, I need to go and think of a promo base, but I, 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 I'd, I'd counteract it match-wise by saying, show me a bad pack match. 
with any good, good point the um one of the reasons i as i said at the start i uh, deal with a lot of people who like early 90s wrestling all the time and the continuous discussion that comes up which is one for another pod i'm sure is like oh bret hart's the greatest of all time because x y and z or no hulk hogan's the greatest of all time because x y and z so it's what you define as x y and z versus what i define as x y and z and so no, no, yeah, I completely, that's completely yeah, i completely understand that it's just yeah. never gone have you seen him live just have interest I did in WWE okay, yeah. many years ago. I think he was on a Raw show fighting uh, Finn Balor randomly. But, uh, oh, cool. Yeah. Sounds pretty good. Yeah. He's like... Bill he, said he, it was he, shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ross, you pointed it out, I'm pretty sure, on the weekend. Or it might have been when we were watching one of the shows when we were waiting for Mike to turn up before the show about just... Oh, you got me to rewind it about just these little, like, cells that he does. Yeah, yeah. I, I I just think his seat is uh, what's the word? His floor is so high for a match. Like that, like he he has my favorite ever Kenny Omega match that is a singles match was with Pack. I think he brings the best out of pretty much anyone he wrestles, and you can no card me all you want, Matt. Um, possibly, <laughs> possibly my favorite Dynamite match of the month was um, uh, Dax against Pack. I thought that was absolutely fantastic. Yeah, that was what we were watching, wasn't it? Yeah. But yeah, um, next up I think was the women's match. Was it? Eventually. <laughs> Tay Conti, I, I've always liked Tay Conti. And I think, judging on what I read on the internet, I think people are coming around generally like she's maybe had a bit more time in the ring on dark and elevation stuff. She might not quite be the, you know, the standout woman in the division or anything like that. But I've, I've always took to her moveset. And I think, um, I think she's got something like it's starting to really shine through now. That's probably a cold take. But yeah, bloody oh, love Tay Conti. Good knee. Yeah, a good knee. So she's, you're a fan of hers, I guess. Always have been. Yeah. Um, do you think the future for her is going to be a feud with Anna Jay after they didn't like save her? And that happened to, to like, I feel like they've just been out, like outnumbered by DMD's lot throughout this whole feud, both Anna and Tay. And they only come out once, once the beatdown starts happening or they don't come out at all. And it feels a bit like they've, there's an easy story there to keep them busy. Yeah, I, I, I don't see why not. It makes logical sense in terms of what you're saying. Um, I, I never really know where AEW's women's division is going to go. I just know that Britt Baker will be at the centre of it, probably, because she's the one that gets all the reactions. Yeah, I I think that they've got a bit of an issue similar to Becky Lynch in the WWE, where they're trying their hardest to, to make her a heel. But at least in the WWE, they're, they're genuinely making her a, a heel, whereas... In AEW, similar to what Shafi was saying about how Adam Cole doesn't seem to get it, why is she still doing the DMD thing so that people can sing along? Why is she doing hardcore matches where she's valiantly kicking out of thumbtack spots on a random rampage? Like, that's not someone that you want to boo. That's someone that, that you want to cheer, right? And that goes to the detriment of all these baby faces that, that they build up in big matches against her. And there's not a big swelling for, yeah, let's... Let's have Chris Statlander win. Let's have Ty Conti win because people want DMD to win. At this point, I feel like they, like they should just to, like turn her face, have hate a turn on her. Yeah, I mean, she obviously started out as a face, didn't she, in AW, and she was super bland. It's, it's obviously quite a common thing in modern wrestling, particularly where baby faces are really bland and heels are really cool. Obviously, we mentioned Adam Cole. Does it? A clear link between him and Britt Baker and uh, the way that she puts herself across uh, with the catchphrase and everything else. I think 
the crowd were dead for this match, let's be honest. It was a seventh match on a card where there were some very good matches before this. Tay Conte is, you know, not top five in a women's division in terms of ability. She's arguably not top ten. My take's obviously slightly different from uh, from Conman's. Um, I just didn't think she's on the level for this type of match. But the issue that they've got is that their women's division is not hugely deep, and they've now just massively divided that talent pool by adding another belt that they probably didn't need. The women in the, with the exception of Hater, the women in the pre-show match are all better than Conte. But I think DMD's already beat all of them, you know? So there's not really anyone else for her to beat unless they bring someone in. Like, who's she going to lose the belt to? A question I was going to ask you guys, obviously you've got the, like, pillars of homegrown stars in the male division. Yeah, you could see the main event. I don't know if you count Paige isn't one of them, but you can see these guys who are coming up to, to be that next level. From the women's division, I'd, you know, I'd, I'd, I had a bit of time off. I've only been watching a few weeks regularly again. Who, who are the women who are going to be that level? Can you see someone, are they on the roster or do they need to bring people in? Or is it the likes of your, you know, see like Sheeda's really good, she's already done it. Is, is there people to come up and take that belt? Like Even like not if they're not yet ready, are there people of that potential, do you think? Well, Baker and Thunder Rosa had a barnstormer, didn't they? That deathmatch style match. So I'm sure they could circle back to that at some point. It might still be a bit soon, or maybe that's where they're going now. I don't know. But I think them two seem to have great chemistry. Probably the best women's match in AEW's history, I'd imagine. So maybe they go back to that again. I know they've done it, but and Thunder Rosa won that, I believe. So there's a story there to be told, I guess. Britt Baker trying to confirm she's still number one. In terms of the person who is going to be next in line, like Shafi said, they've kind of split the roster with the TBS tournament. I don't, like, I don't feel like anyone who loses in that tournament should then go, I'm the number one for the title that's higher up than the one I didn't win. So I feel like it's got to be someone that they bring in. I don't know whether that's from... But if you're bringing someone in, you, I can't imagine the way they run, that they're putting the belt on them. Because, you know, you guys, I've, you know, I've been listening to you guys more than I was watching, and it was... Adam Page was the guy who was going to take the belt off Omega because that was built in. Who they got, who they're building, even if they have to go back and build them up again. Is there someone there that they've built that you think is going to eventually take the belt off Britt Baker? Or is it that just not a person at the moment and that's something they have to address? Yeah, obviously there's been a fair few releases in WWE. I don't know. And the most, most sorry, the most logical choice at the moment is Jade Cargill, isn't it? I think she undefeated and uh, she's coming across as like the monster gimmick. Yeah, it could even be that Jade wins that title and then they both carry on winning and it becomes a title be title match maybe um but yeah in terms of the ones that got released recently ember moon for me is the is the easy pick she's amazing yeah but they're not gonna but you they're not gonna put her straight over are they would they that's what i'm saying if they brought ember moon in that'd be like a cool like cool feud like they did with ruby it'd be a cool feud that mini feud match or a decent feud match but where do you see what i'm saying though I think you can do it. It's just whether they will do it, right? I think they could have done it with Ruby Soho if they would have done it that way, like the reaction she got. So I'm not sure if Emma means that person, but I think I'm with Ross that she's great. Thunder Rose is still in a tournament, isn't she? I think she's still in a TBS tournament. Yeah. I know what Ross said about if you get knocked out of that one, you shouldn't go for the world title. But if she gets cheated out of it in some way, then you could potentially go down that route. I mean, if they... Like, Britt is so big at this point that she's bigger than the division. If they keep building her, she's going to become 
Like no one's ever going to be big enough to be able to beat her. Yeah. So yeah, they probably like she probably needs to be dropping the title by the next pay per view. I would imagine. So they've got three months to get someone to that level. Right. What else we got on the card, Ross? I think it was just the inner circle and the main event left. I think. And um, Kingston. Punk Kingston. Sorry. Yes. Match on the card. I know it was only eleven minutes, but it's probably my favourite match on the card. Yeah, same. <laughs> probably because it was eleven minutes, but. <laughs> Why was it your favourite match on the card, Coleman? Right, again, I'm sure that from a technical point of view, that main event or the opener even, or the tag match, pick your match that was, was brilliant. But wrestling's about moments. And the moment when CM Punk teased doing a five-knuckle shuffle to Eddie Kingston is now etched in my brain forever. In the same corner of my brain where Shabata with the blood down his face is, that, that same corner of just images that I won't forget watching wrestling is CM Punk just teasing, not even doing, right? He didn't even do it, but just teasing the five-knuckle shuffle. The image I'll remember from this brilliant pay-per-view is that image. And just for that reason, I'm saying it's my favourite match. It felt like a breeze. I'm not even sure if it was the result I wanted, but in the moment, I was just completely absorbed by it. It had me more than any other match. The main event maybe would match it, but this really was just what I want from wrestling. I just thought it was brilliant. And, and a much, even though, like you say, it had a really long build of years of story, in reality, it had a one month tops build, and Probably yet it felt like an ep- yeah, and it felt like an epic off the back of one or half, two promos. Yeah, yeah, just that's my sort, my bag. I loved it. I don't know if everyone else is as in love with it as I was, but yeah, loved it. I- I'm with you, mate. I, from just even the opening, like knockout pre match, which I felt I don't know if it was meant to, but to me it was like sort of taking the piss out of his UFC run. Just like I just spark you out before he's even started. It was just even from then, and then yeah, it just went, and like it, they prove that you can have a good match in that time. You know, you don't need, and I say as like, a few of you have said, and like Red Pro Rob said, a few of these matches could do own five minutes taken off, and all I was waiting for him was him to get to that match because I knew he was going to love the fact it was they got it all in in ten eleven minutes, and you and you can still tell a story, and I think half of it is the fact that those two built it up so well in I say in it just like a week and a half, wasn't it when or two and a half weeks max, but I have to yeah, give- I pretend it was the best technical match on the card. But as as same as you, Matt, like just actual, yeah, wrestling. I have to give Brown some big credit here because um, the morning after the promo, the in-ring promo that was so good between the pair of them, he pointed out that it was basically Cena versus Punk 2011 promo, but the other way around. And then for Punk to then do the um, what's the move? The like the like one move. Like five moves of doom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I was like, oh my god, Brum's absolutely nailed it. Fair play. I mean that promo was so good. So I watched that on the Saturday morning, and like the just the hairs on my arm were just standing up. And I don't know anything about their past, but just what he put across in you know a very short space of time, like was very believable. You know, and ultimately, that's what you want, isn't it? You want to be able to suspend your disbelief and buy yeah. into a story. And But everything else is, you know, a storyline. But maybe there's something a bit more to this. Because that's ultimately how you get invested. You know, as you're talking about Money in the Bank uh, 2011, you know, we all sort of were very invested in that. Like, is, is Punk going to leave? And yeah. you know, a lot of the things, there were a lot of truth in what he was saying. You know, and the same with Kingston. Like, interestingly, so I watched that promo and a few hours later, I went to watch a WWE live show. And 
I think it just, I mean, apart from the fact that 90% of the people there were with kids under the age of 10, it just sort of reaffirmed that, you know, AEW is is for us and WWE is not for us. Don't get me wrong, they still put out stuff that, you know, we can enjoy. and But AEW just more often hits notes that mean something to me or more often, you know, hit things that make me feel something beyond, you know, just passively watching a wrestling show. And the Kingston promo was one of them. Yeah, and that stems from the fact that the Booker is of age, isn't it? Yeah, and I mean that obviously had a that obviously had an impact on the crowd in this match. What did you think about the crowd in this match, Phil? They were pretty evenly split, I think, weren't they? There was a lot of uh, you were talking earlier about Cody getting a bit of abuse, but I think Punk got his fair share as well. And some would say, myself included, quite rightly so. I think I love the match. I love Punk. I love Kingston. I didn't originally, but I do now, especially after that promo. I think the problem is Punk, and like I was talking earlier about Brian Danielson, he's not really, I'm not really getting it. They're both going down the same career paths together now. And it's getting a bit like, oh, hang on, haven't we already heard this story? Haven't we seen this bit already and stuff? But um, I don't know if Punk expected it to be that split after having a few weeks of heavy brown nosing, shall I say? <laughs> That's probably not the best term, but uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely split it. like it. Did you not think that Punk sort of lent into some of that, though, and provoked some of that reaction with some of the things that he said to Kingston? Like, he wasn't... What, during the match? Uh, well, no, in the promos beforehand, like, Kingston said all these things, and Punk wasn't necessarily uh, going for reconciliation with some of the things he said, was he? He was he was quite barbed in his responses. He always came across as heelish at points. No, I, I I think that's a pure face, pure face retaliation promo. That is, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't say there was anything heelish in there, but maybe that's the beauty of him. Maybe that's the beauty of Punk. He leaves it up to our own interpretation of him. He said from day one, didn't he, when he when he was stood by the uh, the entrance and exit uh, on the island, he was like, which one? Jokingly with the crowd, which one should I go through? And like, <laughs> there will be a heel turn come. Just it's just when, isn't it? Yeah, and I and I think as. Yeah, this is sowing it just sowing the seeds, and as you say, Chef, I think it's deliberately not pure face material from CM Punk. And uh, we said it when we, when he came on, we did the uh, podcast about his uh, return. It's just, it's just where yeah, it is when, and it will keep you hanging, and it will be just little bits, little bits, little bits, and then eventually it'll be gone. I think the most heelish thing that he did in those promos was when he was saying uh, basically like um, full gear. I don't think full gear is your level. I think maybe dark's your level, like needless digs like that. Yeah. And there were a few of them, like they were subtle, but I mean, even the handshake at the end, I wouldn't necessarily came across as completely sincere. It was, it was actually quite similar to the uh, contract signing leading into this between um, Omega, wasn't it? A little bit. Yeah. When you've told someone that they're not good enough and they've had this inferiority complex for 15 years and you beat them and then you go up to them and try and force them to shake your hand as opposed to them, you know, feeling humbled and coming and offering their hand as a, a show of respect. I mean, what sort of reaction are you going to get? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a great story. And I think it's the start of just as uh, Phil quite rightly said, like it's kind of the end of, just an outright loving and the start of a character that is fully formed rather than just that we're happy to see him, which is great because that obviously will wear thin. And arguably already had. Yeah. Okay. Are we on the main yet? <laughs> <laughs>
surely no one's got any hot take. Maybe they do. No one's got hot takes on the five on five. We've kind of covered it. So, have you got any representations to make for Mr. Jericho, Phil? <sighs> just what I was saying, Jericho is the greatest of all time, and I truly do believe that. That's not just play on his words. And uh, if anyone ever cares to have a forty-five minute conversation with me, I will tell you exactly why he is. But uh, no, it was good. Uh, the one thing that did absolutely make me piss myself though. Uh, was when Jericho went for the line salt, just stood on the ropes for what seemed like 10 minutes shouting, Junior, Junior, Junior. And then Junior Del Santos just appeared and lightly tapped him on the face. And I was like, oh no, of all the, of all the timings that could go wrong, why isn't he shouting it as he's running to the ropes? Not while he's just stood there balancing like a clown. Bless him. Apart <laughs> from that though, as you guys said earlier, we had the better Falls Count Anywhere match earlier in the evening. I mean, as Conman was saying about one image being stuck in his head. Like the only thing I can remember from this match was I think Jericho was down and Lambert just doing like a little victory rap, uh, lap around him. <laughs> that cracked me up, but I can't remember anything else about the match. And I got no intention of watching it again. <laughs> he, he also got stapled in the balls. And uh, no, the, the hot spot that you've got to admit to is um, Scorpio Sky on the ladder getting smashed through it by uh, Sammy Guevara from about. 80 foot in the air by it looks to it. That was good. It's very Jeff Hardy-esque. Or maybe not. <laughs> yeah, potentially. Okay, so main event? Yeah, let's do it. It was a bit boring, wasn't it? <laughs> it, fl- it wasn't really, the... weird, you know, like, didn't really buy into bit... the story. Yeah, I needed a bit rushed. more story going in. Um... <laughs> <laughs> that was fantastic, wasn't it? Again, this seems to be a theme with the images, but I, I'm sure we all clocked it, even though it was about, when I watched it, about felt like five in the morning. But the, the Matt Jackson nod was a, was a nice touch. Uh, good camera work on that as well. Um, just a, a great story that's been finished. I obviously was quite vocal about being sceptical about it a few months back, and I don't necessarily disagree with my point at the time, but it's not got any worse for being held on even longer. Um, the story's come round, and it was great to see. The reaction that Paige gets, like from the crowd and everything, like he's an absolute star, isn't he? And I'm glad he's got to the top of the company. Yeah, I mean, this is, in some ways, almost the easy part, isn't it? You know, what? Where do we go with Paige now? The the chase is gone, and what a br- and what a brilliant chase it has been for two years. I mean, I watched loads of videos in the run up to this, you know, about Paige's story, and you know, there were loads of stuff that I completely forgot about, and there's no doubt that it's you know, one of the best title chases in modern wrestling, one of the best story arcs in modern wrestling. But where do we go now? How do we keep the the interest in Adam Page now that the chase is over? Yeah. It's one of the best story arcs in modern wrestling because it was sort of planned from the beginning as opposed to some other companies where it's like, oh, this guy's been here 10 years and we haven't really used him that well. Now we're going to give him a belt. Whereas... This one was from the very beginning, got the initial title shot, fell short, and has just been on that comeback. And it's just so well thought out. It certainly feels that way. I think this is one like one of the situations where having less pay-per-views probably helped them because they're not forced to, you know, put Hangman into a pay-per-view situation 12 times a year. Yeah. Because I think this storyline would have got very old very quickly if that was the case. You know, he could go away for a couple of months and have a kid or he could go and do the dark order stuff or even the Matt Hardy stuff that I didn't think was particularly interesting, but still be advancing this story or still adding to it. 
Um, it's weird, isn't it? Because even though you say like it was planned, it clearly was planned. The, the actual, like you say, like the Dark Order side of it, there's no way two years ago they went, well, what we're going to do with the Dark Order is this. Because obviously we know circumstances change. Like the way they've been able to consistently shift the pieces in and out and bring this thing in and, and on the whole, keep that story really interesting is just brilliant. The only parallel, obviously, we talked briefly about Naito earlier. And that's the, I guess what you're saying, Chef, right? We don't want it to now be, well, the chase was great, but maybe we don't want to see him as champions. So then it's what James said. Do they flip it off him quickly? And this is the first short reign and we kind of get a crisis of confidence in Hangman all over again. I don't know. It's exciting to see where they will go, I think, more than a worry because this company has proven so far that the long-term storytelling is generally really good. Yeah. I, th- I think we had a pod, didn't we? And you alluded to it maybe, I can't remember when it was, maybe three to six months ago when Hangman lost. He lost to Omega, right? Mm-hmm. And we sort of said, like, oh, they put this off again. Like with Naito, they missed the boat on him, I think. They really did put, you know, put it off far, far too long. And by the time he actually won, the interest wasn't there the way that it would have been a year or two before. Um, with Hangman, they've probably pushed it as far as they could possibly get away with. So I think that's one you know, one place where they've perhaps learned from New Japan. But yeah, I mean, I'm interested to see what happens. I mean, I mean, imagine, I don't know, lights go out at the end of Dynamite as Hangman's having a title celebration and Bray Wyatt's in the ring. I mean, is your, you know, something like that, like your interest is straight away going to be peaked. And we've had Hangman who's been trying to rebuild his own self-image, his own self-confidence. And then you've got someone who's a master manipulator who's going to, you know, play on all of his insecurities. Straight away, there would be intrigue. And don't get me wrong, it doesn't have to be Bray Wyatt. It could be, you know, but there are so many different stories they could tell, I think. Yeah. Um, so hopefully we get something, you know, that is instantly intriguing on, on Wednesday. Talking about just, just how good this, the uh, story build has been. Not only was the story build great, I thought in the match itself, the story was amazing. You had the fact that Paige obviously has had this crisis of confidence ever since his first loss for the title. It's taken him so long to get into the main event for the title match again. And this time he showed absolutely zero signs of a lack of confidence. I love that that, that it was like, yep, I'm ready. I know I can do it. There was no kind of feigned, oh my God, maybe I can't do it. It was almost like he was zoned in. He knew exactly what he needed to do. He finally hit the buckshot lariat, something that he's been trying to hit on Omega for months and months and months. And he always seems to move out of the way or run away or, or whatever it, it may be. Uh, so that sto- uh, story beat hit. And then right at the end, um, you had the nod from Jackson, which alludes to the fact that maybe Jackson knew that he's no longer a liability. And actually the liability to, to him and the rest of the elite is Omega. And then so then there's that story beat and then finally something that he was leaning on was alcohol and then at the end when he was offered the beer he threw it away and went in for the hug so it hit every single beat that they told over such a long period of time I thought it was amazing my only little gripe was that I didn't think that they gave the celebration at the end long enough I felt it was kind of like they lifted him up and it cut straight to black it was like a little bit I wanted to savor it a little bit more than what was given to me but I know that they're going to probably do something on Wednesday night but I feel like there was an opportunity there to have some kind of some iconic shots, and, I, and, I'm, and I've only really seen one or two, and I feel like there could have been a lot more. Also, um, no, I mean, unless I'm remembering the match wrong, didn't kick out of a one-winged angel, did he? Well, Kenny did, didn't he? That's the thing. Kenny, Kenny yeah. 
Romeo. Yeah. First one. I know that everyone's been saying in this arc that that would be the the kick out of the one wing danger would be the kind of playing to the finish. But yeah, it was the reverse play. So. Would would that have almost been too predictable if he kicked out of it? Yeah, yeah, probably so. You know, you still got that little bit of intrigue if they have another match down the line that, you know, if he didn't hit it, if he would have, then Kenny would have won. I, I like I like the fact he didn't kick out the one wing day, George. It's uh just keep something. <laughs> and also for um Kenny, he's lost the match. He doesn't need to lose the the like lore of his his finisher as well. Yeah. So I mean, Phil, I think you've been watching AW from the start, is that right? Yeah, since the very, very start. And uh, since they first did the very first um, press release. <laughs> and funny story, because they're all there in street clothes. And in fact, the only one to turn up in ring gear in his little black pants was Pac in the freezing cold in a car park somewhere. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I've been watching it from the start. I loved it. Uh, I know <laughs> you and I talk about AEW a lot. Yeah, and we, we sorry, have Karen. gone so far tonight. Um, <laughs> I haven't watched it from, you know, the first... Um, the first PR session and from Dynamite every week. How did this make you feel, you know, having invested into a storyline for such a long time? The last time I really felt like this, uh, and I'm fortunate enough to be old enough to remember it, not not too old, but it reminds me of Sting and the NWO storyline that just went on for a good, good year, 18 months, where we didn't know where Sting was. He'd gone. We didn't know if he was going to come back. Then he starts show, slowly coming back in the rafters, and you start rooting for someone that's been told for so long. You knew eventually Sting was going to get to Hogan and he was going to get his comeuppance after being betrayed at Bash of the Beach. But it's that sort of long-term storyline that's just been missing from, from my life, in particular in wrestling, for years and years and years now. And it just... It, it didn't matter to me. I, I mean, I quite frankly, I wanted um, Kenny Omega to win. I think he's the, the a great champion. He's a great um, picture boy for AEW. But I was so sold on hangman's redemption if we want to call it that it didn't matter to me he won it and i was the emotions came in like yes he deserved to win it he did great storytelling it was like a movie it was like if you could put it into an hour and a half of clip it's it would make a movie we'd all go and watch well we obviously would all go and watch it but many people would go and watch it in the cinema great loved it and unlike the uh sting uh hogan starcade match it was certainly a lot more satisfying and a lot less screw jobby <laughs> yeah you always have to pick up on the one little point don't you the one little negative but yeah you're right it was I'm saying it's a, it was, it's a positive but I did think the screw job was coming you know? the minute the books were coming out yeah I, I mean just just for a bit of context <laughs> that's where I uh, ended up thinking yeah I was gonna say just for a bit of context during Attitude Era Phil only watched WCW and he's fiercely protective I of did. WCW I so I'm not actually shitting I am Although Hogan did completely <laughs> fuck that match, but um, no, I was more so saying how satisfying AW was on uh, on Saturday night. It's, uh, it's true. The only Attitude Era stuff I've seen is on the Attitude Era DVD that came out a few years ago, and various YouTube clips. I never saw it live. And what's even worse, I'm so anti WWE for what they did to WCW. <laughs> is that, is that uh, in 2010 I was convinced there would be a TNA. Uh, implosion that would take down WWE so I watch TNA every week as well like a good boy so maybe that's the reason when they said there's this new thing called AEW I was like sold done cancel the network let's go for it <laughs> there certainly was a TNA implosion 
<laughs> yeah, and I'll start some do Hogan as well. Right? <laughs> you don't learn your lesson. So yeah, I think that pretty much wraps up what the nerds are watching. So shall we crack into the round table? Yeah, Matt, I think that this was your choice of a roundtable. Uh, did you want to lead it? Yeah, well, um, basically, obviously, it's Survivor Series this weekend. It's the Survivor Series, the epitome of tag team competition. It doesn't seem to be getting much promotion even from WWE, actually. And, I, and there was a reason I read in the dirt sheets why. But I just wondered, really, I suppose it was a two-pronged question. It doesn't have to go deep. But one is, do you still have any sort of nostalgic feelings great feelings towards Survivor Series do you still like it now and the other being like your favourite match or moment we'll go around if everyone's got one of each their thoughts on it now the greatest match my screen goes left to right Shafi you can start so obviously traditionally there's been the big four pay-per-views in WWE big five and a few of the uh, sort of new generation years the best of WWF American wrestling WrestleMania, SummerSlam, Survivor Series, Royal Rumble. Like for me, like people have always sort of gone WrestleMania, SummerSlam, uh, Rumble, Survivor Series, or you know, maybe Rumble and SummerSlam are interchangeable. For me, like I've always much, much, much preferred Survivor Series to SummerSlam. Um, I don't know what it is. Um, some sounds just a bit too, you know, sunny and happy and nice. And I like that sort of dark shit from Survivor Series. Ah! Yeah, I'm glad you agree, James. Wells <laughs> um, just scored. Wells just scored. Well, we don't need to worry about you celebrating again then. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, like I always like much preferred Survivor Series. I think so. A match that one of my favorite moments is a match that I've never actually seen which sounds super weird. But um, on the Coliseum videos, sometimes they would show highlights of other videos that you could buy. And one of the moments that would always stick in my head was um, Undertaker versus Hogan. And Ric Flair comes out and puts a chair in the ring and uh, Taker tombstones him on the on the chair and wins the title. Uh, so that was a big one. And another one would be Survivor Series 94. And, and what I would call the, the culmination of a, a similarly long storyline, a one-year storyline uh, between Owen Hart and Bret Hart, in which uh, Bret Hart lost the title to Bob Backlund, um, thanks to the manipulation of his dastardly younger brother, Owen. In terms of my thoughts on Survivor Series now, to be honest, I've got absolutely no interest. Um, I don't really... Like it's not Survivor Series anymore for me. I don't think they should probably. There's probably not even any value in the name. They've driven it into the ground so much. I don't really know what they're fighting for. From my understanding, they only announced the teams two or three weeks before the pay per view, and some of the people had been on the opposite show a couple of weeks before. So, what are they fighting for? I think. Um, Zeph and Rey Mysterio were on the same team after Zeph cost Rey Mysterio an eye last year. Or was it this year? I can't even remember. It all blurs into one, much like Rey Mysterio's vision. Um, but, um, yeah, his eye grew back, so it's fine. What can I say? WWE. 
Well, you didn't say that about Jake Roberts. <laughs> that was just perfume, mate. That was fine. That was just arrogance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's where I'm at with Survivor Series. I'll be honest with you, I don't even know what the matches are on the card. I've seen like quite a lot of tweets going back and forth between Becky and Charlotte. If that's on a card, I'm, I'm interested in that because they seem to be properly going for each other and there's a bit of intrigue there. But apart from that, can't say that I know the rest of the card or are particularly interested or think that there's a lot of legs left in the Survivor Series concept itself unless there's a, a drastic overhaul with things like the brand split. I don't think that's unfair, really. James, you uh, can you offer any... You've probably not watched WWE for a, a long long time properly, right? Have you got any positive? Yeah, no, I'm probably in a similar spot to show. I went to Survivor Series, I think it was 2016 or 15 or 16, and uh, it was quite cool. I was like, it was one of the first, I don't know it was one of the first SmackDown movie ones. It felt like it. There was some quite cool like interactions in the ring with the main event and then Triple H won. I'm like, you're not even in a wrestler anymore. This is annoyingly bad. But um, it was a good, you know, it's just, it's fun. It was like live, it was fun. But yeah, similar, well, so I don't really watch the product, so I don't want to give a scathing review, but that's probably enough of a review as the reason why I won't, don't really watch it anymore. They did the like quite cool thing with NXT and then didn't really do anything with it afterwards and just sort of finished them off. And like, yeah, I think Shafi's point about the fact is people who were literally on the same brand two weeks ago and they do it just after the brand split. I feel like you should really think about your calendar a bit more. But for some uh, historical Survivor Series moments, uh, there was that cool one when um, I think it was like the Godfather was on a team with D'Lo Brown and I want to say the Headbangers. It might not have been the Headbangers, but it was a tag team and they all came out dressed as the Godfather. That was quite funny. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I enjoyed that. And, and also, um, I think the big show... It was the year that he won the title and Steve, it was the same one pretty much, maybe the year before when Steve Austin got run over and he was feuding with the big boss man who was obviously one of the greatest chicken shit heels of all time at that point. And he did, he got given like three, he said he didn't want any teammates and then just beat up his own teammates anyway <laughs> and then beat up all the big boss man's teammates. I feel like the Mean Street Posse were involved, I can't remember. And then the big boss man ran away. That was quite good. <laughs> um, <laughs> I want to say like there was like a quite a, a like a fun China Jeff Jarrett match as well on that card. Was that the Good Housekeeping one? Yeah, I can't remember if it was that one or the one before, but yeah, well, yeah, that and that was. No, was I got a feeling that was fully loaded or something. Yeah, like so that. I think the, the second match, there are two matches. One of them was on Survivor Series, and one of them is Jarrett's last match. I think I might be wrong, but. I mean, how can you mention the Big Boss Man without you sort of mentioning the things that he did to Big Show? Well, because that came after Survivor Series. No, was it in the lead-up? Because afterwards was when he did the sort of like hijack the dad's funeral. And yeah, he also fed a man his own dog, which was quite good. <laughs> what a cool hill. Yeah, <laughs> that's not cool. Yeah, that's going to get you food, isn't it? <laughs> um, Phil, it might not be as good as War Games, but uh, do you have any love for Survivor Series? Uh, I used to. I think when you take out personal feuds um it just becomes a pointless exercise of like that was, was raw which is the equivalent of we all worked in a supermarket 
on the tills and decided for some reason we had to go and fight the trolley boys just because our bosses said we do there's no personal motive to it and we would all refuse to do that so i don't understand it um i've seen the card i'm giving you an early prediction here that they are going to play on the screw job with charlotte to get the title offer and play and give it to becky so it'd be becky two belts again due to their personal feud watch watch that space i think it will happen um, favorite Survivor Series moments. I can't believe we haven't talked about the impressive 1990 debut of uh, the Gobbledygooker, which was uh, <laughs> great. But no, my favorite memory is the following year when um, the Undertaker beat Hogan. I think it was Survivor Series anyway. I'm sure it was. Uh, he beat Hogan for the title, and that, as a six-year-old, Phil shook me to my core. That this big giant of a dead man. Uh, and I remember watching it live on. For some, I want to tell myself it was Sky Movies, but that makes no sense to me that it would be sky movies but anyway i watched it live and it was the first time i've probably been scared by a wrestler so yeah great yeah the old pay-per-views were on sky movies oh there you go see do know things do know things about wwf <laughs> proud at least you've got some nostalgia for it and i saved ross to last because i know he'll be a beacon of positivity and have too many memories if anything yeah so i'm serious for me is just a shared load of fun. I still really enjoy it. And I, and I felt that um, last year's Survivor Series put an end to three or four years of absolute bangers of Survivor Series, um, particularly led by Brock Lesnar, who just seems to have an absolute brilliant match at Survivor Series each year. He had a run with Styles. He had a run with um, uh, Brian. The Brian match in particular was so, so good. The Does Raw- Goldberg count? Does Goldberg count in that run as good Lesnar matches? I think it does. I think it I does. think it does, but you know, maybe yeah, not a great no. match. Not not that not that one. <laughs> that was that was like the the ninety second one, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, in terms of iconic moments, it seems like Survivor Series is always shredded in some kind of controversy, which is pretty fun. There was a nice little touch there from um, Phil on nineteen uh, nineties uh, egg breaking moment, <laughs> um, which is controversial for possibly the wrong terms. But you've also got like slightly lesser thought of ones, like how MSG crowd turned on Shawn Michaels in that match against Sid, which was absolutely awesome. I'm someone who hates when that happens, but because it was so out of the ordinary and it's something that didn't happen a lot, whereas now it seems to happen all the time, and I'm pissed off by it. For that match in particular, especially because Shawn Michaels was a bit of a brat, it just seems to absolutely work. And um, I love that moment. Um, the whole 1996 show actually is one of my favourite WF shows of all time, actually. Uh, the, the MSG show with the match with Brett against Austin, Undertaker against Mankind. Does The Rock debut on that one or is it? It does. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it? yeah. yeah so a pretty epic one. Obviously, the, you've got um, the Gang Rules show of 97, which had a small minor moment that happened on it but yeah I just absolutely love it and then probably like Phil will absolutely hate me for saying this but the 2001 um main event with like 55 minute WCW versus WWF which which saw the end of WCW in terms of that storyline um I thought that was an awesome match and a fun little um swerve at the end classic WWF um so yeah I've got so many memories of it I'm still positive about it. And also you've got um, the 2019 show, was it, with NXT, which felt like the last time that there was an actual brand supremacy thing that mattered because main roster was against NXT and it felt different to kind of just, yes, Fox against NBC or whatever it is on now. I mean, 
we can't really go without mentioning the screw job. I mean, it was one of the biggest things that's ever happened in wrestling, and we can't just, you know, skip over that and not mention it. I mean, the repercussions of, you know, mankind being cheated by Vince McMahon <laughs> and The Rock becoming the corporate champion were massive. No, but genuinely, Deadly Games, that was a brilliant Survivor Series as well. The best that Vince Russo ever did. It's an all-time great pay-per-view in terms of storyline, maybe not match quality, but the actual storyline, top to bottom, is it's really fantastic. That swerve coming. I did not see it coming. What a catch. What a catch on that nightstick. Yeah. Boom. But yeah, and obviously uh, Brett lost to Sean. Allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> Hebner making a mistake for a change. Yeah. <laughs> but, but was it a work or was it a shoot? That's probably a round table. <laughs> yeah. In terms of um, the matches that are going to be on this coming Sunday, there's nothing that particularly excites me beyond... Uh, the Charlotte Becky because of the, the added edge that, that that's got to it with the recent stuff that's that, that's happened and the promos um, offline more than online. And I would say that um, actually in terms of just match quality, if they're just allowed to kind of do what Brock and Brian did at Survivor Series, Damon Priest against Nakamura could be an absolute banger. Has Nakamura still got still got it? I, I, I'm not, not that he hasn't still got it. Does he still give enough of a shit to bring it? So his pay-per-view matches tend to be good, but unlike SmackDown, he only really gets like five-minute matches and then Boogs dances around. <laughs> Yo, Boogs. He was out there playing Britt Baker's music, me. <laughs> so before this goes completely off track, I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll just sum up my thoughts for bringing it up. is because I think I've kind of got similar feelings to the majority. Like, I don't hold it in any great esteem anymore, and it's a shame. I think it's exactly the point of that the draft happens before, because... The draft, when it was happening uh, a few months prior to the brand warfare, if you will, I actually really liked them matches. I remember there being one SmackDown versus Raw where Team SmackDown won the first draft and they had the AJ and Mox infight. And of course they did, it's WWE. But it was a really good match. Went up 50 minutes, Braun was in it. I remember it being really good. I think it was around the time of the Bray Orton team as well. But yeah, I kind of lost the love for it because there doesn't seem to be any consequences that matter anymore. And that's the reason why my two favourite Survivor Series matches are ones that had quite big consequences. The 03 one, which was Austin's career on the line, uh, if you wouldn't call it that, uh, with the Michaels, just a one-man show defeating the team against him. Just always loved that match. And the one a couple of years, uh, 2014 maybe, uh, it could be 2013, where Sting turned up and uh, it was Team Authority versus Team Cena and that match again uh, at the time thought it was a real breakout moment for Dolph Ziggler uh, really good match twists and turns shenanigans and high stakes so I just wanted to mention them two matches so I really liked them which actually reminds me of um, HBK Elimination Chamber yeah mm. which was a, a great moment as well after he came back and had his shit bob haircut and his you know shit coloured pants and won the title which had yeah. a great ending loads of confetti that's what i was wanting for hangman yeah alas was not to be hangman should have been sort of just sort of wheeled around like a showroom like a horse when he won or interviewed by uh john mccray it's a shame they couldn't recreate his uh celebration when they want the tag belts on the cruise like hangman Mm. just crowd surfing would have been great but uh probably not advisable in current conditions 
I mean, that really killed COVID. Really killed his gimmick of going around and drinking everyone's drink, didn't it? <laughs> uh. <laughs> so let's finish this podcast thirty-three off with a book of bingo. B i n g o and bingo was his name. Oh. Have you ever played Booker Bingo in your head? Uh, no. <laughs> but can I will. I think Can I give you a pro tip here, Phil? Yeah. What you want to do is yeah. you want to go second here because then you get to listen to the first person and get an idea, but you're not at the end where all the ideas have been taken. So the second's a good little spot. Yeah, well, sure. Let's go. Let's give it a go. Okay, so let me quickly get the spreadsheet out. Interesting. It's not an intergender match, which seems to happen every week. It's an all-male affair with Hall of Fame standard Randy Savage versus NXT UK's favourite Joseph Connors. God. If anyone can make anyone watch this match, they win. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to pick on someone at random. I'm going to pick on... Because he had a go at Joseph Connors, I'm going to pick on James to go first. <laughs> um, so Joseph Connors is, is, am I right in thinking he's sort of Ginny's lackey? Correct. Okay. And it's against Randy Savage? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so Randy Savage, the macho king, um, he's turned up in NXT UK and... He's having, you know, I'm the macho king. I'm the king of this brand. Then suddenly the Queen of Knightsbridge turns up with all the Made in Chelsea bling. And she says, look, I don't need a king. I'm already a queen. My queendom needs no king. And they get into it back and forth. And eventually she sets up Joseph Connors. He loses in six seconds. And I've given it as much time as Joseph Connors deserves. <laughs> Next up, we'll go with Sharaf. Okay, so similarly, uh, Randy Savage joins NXT UK, you know, because he'd probably still make their roster now if he was alive. And he comes in, and obviously, as James has said, uh, Joseph Connors is aligned with Ginny. And as soon as Savage walks in the door, Joseph Connors just walks straight up to him and says, there's lust in your eyes, man. And, <laughs> and Savage is just like, what? Like, I just got here. I don't even know what's going on, you know? And anyway, Joseph Connors takes Ginny to a, a locker room and just locks her in, you know, to make sure no one can talk to her, make sure no one can interfere. It's time for Joseph Connors to cut a promo. And he's just, he's so intense. He's talking about cream of the crop and he's just completely mental. Uh, he's basically, you know, coked up prime era macho man Randy Savage. Like he's taken on this, like not in a Jay Lethal like funny way, but like he's just completely do- and Savage is just looking on, and he just thinks he's crazy. Like Savage can't see that that is him. Um, <laughs> he can't see that 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 he is that over the top or he is that possessive of, you know, Miss Elizabeth or any of that stuff. And eventually, Joseph Connor's jealousy gets them into a match, and he's just pulling out all of the Savage tropes. And Savage doesn't know what to do because he's having his own arsenal used against him. You know, like he's, he's sort of 
just pointing to the sky for no reason and pulling out all these double axe handles that you don't tend to see in NXT UK. Savage is just flummoxed. And Connors goes up for the elbow drop, and just as he's about to hit it, Gorgeous George runs out. And Savage realizes that, you know, he evolved from that 80s madman into a 90s madman with, you know, multiple women. So he essentially comes back and beats Connors by embracing the macho madness that he showed in late 99 or late 90s WCW. And we dispatch Connors to, you know, wherever he, you know, as James rightly said, probably belongs, which is, I don't know, maybe Morrison's or something. (laughs) Good stuff, mate. Good stuff. Okay, so Phil, do you feel like you're able to uh, have a pop at Booker Bingo? I mean, there's the first time for everything, isn't there? <laughs> what a way to start. Well, um, I'm going to take a, a shortcut, but I will like to say that Vince Russo is my favourite writer. So I will take some inspiration from that. Um, but we never had to say this was in NXT UK, did we? We could, we could be anywhere in the world. So, so Joseph Connors <laughs> is uh, is off to AEW. This is such a cheapskate answer. <laughs> He's off to AEW where he takes a bang to the head and he becomes managed by Big Money Matt. And we have broken Joseph Connors, who now appears in AEW, who starts to see Jay Lethal as the real-life Randy Savage. See, this see what I did there? I told you it was a cheap. Uh, it doesn't actually happen, obviously. They get into a feud. The end. <laughs> broken Matt Hardy's on TV again. Yay! <laughs> Said no one. Said no <laughs> one ever. And that's about as believable as Randy Savage coming to AEW to fight Jay Lethal and Joseph Connors, isn't it? <laughs> Fantastic first effort, Phil. Uh, so we're going to end it on the man, the myth, the legend that is Booker Bingo's premium champion, Matt Connolly. Well, you say that. I've had a horrendous run lately. I don't think I've won it for about 20 episodes. But I suppose going last gives you a bit longer in thinking time. Um, but I haven't used it very wisely. But we'll <laughs> try and take it away from NXT UK anyway, because like you say, I think uh, James and Shafi have come up with good ideas there. So... I'm going to start with Ghetto channel hopping one night. And he's thinking, I need to fill these three days of Wrestle Kingdom. It's too much wrestling. We've got a great roster, but I need more matches. And you know what Ghetto's like. He can go a bit wild with his, with his matches, right? So he's channel hopping one day, and he, he, he fires up the network. He's like, I'm going to put some, some NXT UK on, see what, what talent is over there at the moment. And he catches a Ginny promo. And Ginny is hyping up Joseph Connors ahead of his match with Saxton Huxley. And Ginny mentions that Joseph Connors is a savage and the light bulb goes off in Ghetto's head. And he's like, who else is a savage? The macho man, Randy Savage. That's all he does. So on the third day of Wrestle Kingdom, it's announced there's going to be a spin the wheel, make a deal match between the macho man, Randy Savage and Joseph Connors. So they spin the wheel and the match that they get is to entirely recreate the Ultimate Warrior versus the Macho Man Randy Savage with Connors in the Savage role and Savage in the Warrior role. And that's what they do. They just completely recreate it. Five stars. Love it. I'll be honest with you, Ross. I think we were somewhat handicapped this week in that I don't think me and Phil know who Joseph Connors is. (laughs) If, if James wouldn't have gone first no, and said, oh, I, I've with... never heard of him. If James wouldn't have gone first and said, oh, he's with Ginny, I would have had no clue. All four of us went and none of us mentioned that he has half an ear, which he mentions all the time. Yeah. See, I didn't even know that. Um, <laughs> you know, initially, like, there's, 
there's this um i don't know if you guys have seen it but there's this picture of savage dropping an elbow on jesus so i was going to go down the jc initials route you know but <laughs> then james just diverted me somewhere completely different Connors does have a jesus type haircut <laughs> well i think the fact that uh, half of the team didn't know who Connors was i think that everyone came up with some good ideas there but for me i think that my uh, favorite one was probably chef I think um, the idea of Connors being locked in a room <laughs> as a taste of his own medicine. You just got to out savage savage. <laughs> <laughs> and I liked the idea that savage didn't realise that, that those mannerisms were savage. <laughs> nice little touch. So thanks everyone for joining. Um, is there anything that you guys want to plug? Yeah, come and check us out on Facebook. Uh, Legion of Hasbro collecting community lots of regular free events lots of free giveaways of all different types of wrestling merch phil runs a brilliant monthly quiz it's completely free to enter it requires no software the prizes are generally worth a couple of hundred quid all you have to do is turn up on the day uh, so come check us out legion has bro if that's something that will tickle your fancy or something that you there's, there's no question about <laughs> I think he was going to say there are no questions about Joseph Connors, and that is completely <laughs> true. That's exactly what I was going to say. Apart from I was accidentally going to call him Connor Josephs, because I've already <laughs> forgotten who this chap was. So. Anything from you, James, that you wanted to plug? No, I don't have anything. Come on, man. Uh, I want to say uh, Joseph Connors is all right. He gets a lot of stick. I think he's all right. Yeah. <laughs> It was about- I thought it was to be all negative on poor Joseph Connors. He was a great champion in that YouTube promotion. Was it What Culture, wasn't it? They loved him in that. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, and, yeah. For the record, I've got no issues with him. I just, don't know. <laughs> you know. But I don't, I don't watch a lot of NXT UK. The only person I remember is that yogurt guy. <laughs> I think that we found the name of this uh, episode. <laughs> that yogurt guy. People <laughs> listening for two hours to get the reference of the episode name right at the end. Oh, keep them hooked. <laughs> but it's a two-hour payoff, you know. That's AW style. That is one hour fifty-five in. They go. They still haven't mentioned yogurts. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going to stop recording now. Cheers, guys. Wrestling should be fun. Should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. Should be fun. Wrestling should be fun.